You're listening to the Australian Army Training and Doctrine Podcast. Welcome to our third and final podcast in the Cove's three-part series on amphibious operations. In this edition, we'll be looking at how the Australian Army is using its amphibious capability to contribute to contemporary operations. With me is Lieutenant Colonel Doug Pashley, Commanding Officer of the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, known as 2RAR, and we're here at Battalion Headquarters in Townsville. Now, in our previous two interviews in this series, we've been discussing what we mean by amphibious operations and how we got here. We've looked at 2RER's role in particular. So, in your view, sir, how is Australia's capability being used as it stands today? Well, thanks for the question. And firstly, let me say what a pleasure it is to be here and to participate in this uh, series of discussions. So in terms of how Australia's amphibious capability is being used today, well, we see that whenever the LHDs, HMAS Canberra, HMAS Adelaide, are out in the region. And there is one out there in the moment conducting engagement activities with our partners and allies. So that's one way that it's being used. And the second way, I think, would be the contingency forces that the government of Australia has at its disposal and it is able to respond in a range of different ways to contingencies that may occur in the region or further afield. That could be anything from a humanitarian assistance or disaster relief type of activity that may occur any time now onwards during the high-risk weather season, or it may be something more conventional in different parts of the world as part of a coalition. And participation on activities like Talisman Sabre will allow us to shift to support either of those activities or in fact any activity across the spectrum of amphibious operations in a meaningful and professional manner and I think Talisman Sabre 17 was a demonstration to the ADF and domestic population of Australia as well as to our regional partners that we now have a legitimate and credible amphibious capability that can do what the government needs it to do. Certainly for people listening to this series who may have seen some of the footage on social media from Exercise Talisman Sabre, I mean, it was really quite inspiring to, to see the scale um, of that capability in action. So can you perhaps describe for us what was the scenario and therefore how was the capability used? The Talisman Sabre activity was a culmination of five years of an amphibious trial. So the members of this battalion and other people and stakeholders within the Australian Amphibious Enterprise have been working hard to deliver the capability. And that's what Talisman Sabre was. It was the culmination of five years of amphibious trial and the high watermark of Australia's amphibious capability. The scenario in the broad was that there was a regional country, fictitious country, that had been destabilised by the actions of another regional country. And as part of a UN uh, sanctioned activity, the ADF was going to go in and restore the sovereignty of the nation. As part of that, there was going to be a large land combat operation to clear enemy forces from a key part of that fictitious country. And the amphibious lodgement was designed to act as a deception to cover that land combat activity and the lodgement of significant Australian and coalition forces in support of that UN mission. So one of the opportunities that amphibious operations brings to commanders at all levels is that it provides maximum flexibility and they can occur anywhere along a lengthy coastline, making it very hard for an adversary to defend and place out sensors. And that's exactly what occurred in Talisman Sabre. The amphibious lodgement occurred in an area where it wasn't expected. It forced the adversary to spread their sensors and response forces widely to deal with a range of possible options. And that deception allowed the 
insertion of massive combat power to conduct the land combat phase. So what did that exercise demonstrate in terms of the strength of the capability as Australia is currently able to utilise it? Well, it demonstrated that the ADF is capable of conducting a amphibious ready group sized amphibious assault involving combined arms, including armour and artillery. The ADF is capable of conducting true multi-domain operations, launching a battalion minus size force from amphibious shipping with attack aviation in support to achieve outcomes uh, in support of the government's objectives. It was a fitting testament to the efforts of everyone involved in the capability up to this point that we were able to insert a battalion size organisation to an amphibious lodgement, inserting recon and uh, other elements of the pre-landing force in the periods of darkness leading up to them. On the whole, those forces remaining undetected. They providing information to the commanders so that they were able to get a decent understanding of the operating environment they were about to step into. Those pre-landing force elements could conduct and support battle space shaping operations in advance of the lodgement and then on D-Day that the ADF could land, as I said, a battalion-sized combined arms force to secure its objectives within the first few hours of the amphibious lodgement. It was a a pleasure and a privilege to be part of the organisation during that event and as a real milestone for the amphibious capability and the ADF more broadly. Now, as we can hear outside, we've got some torrential rain up here at Battalion Headquarters in Townsville, so we're going to have a little bit of noise in the background now. But just picking up from what you were just saying there, sir, in terms of the strengths demonstrated during Talisman Sabre, what about the lessons learned? Yeah, so look, relationships are key when you're conducting amphibious operations. We have people from different tribes wearing different uniforms with different objectives. So ensuring that people approach the task with open minds who are adaptable, agile, and looking to find a way to yes, as opposed to sticking in their lanes and saying things are not their problem or this is not how we've done things in the past. That type of mindset has no place in amphibious operations and certainly our experience on Talisman Sabre reaffirmed that. You mentioned about the importance of relationships. So in terms then perhaps of the green-blue relationships, how did they evolve during that exercise? One of the most pleasing aspects of Talisman Sabre was the opportunity to work alongside our coalition partners. We got regular exposure to working with US Marine Corps, who are the world's best amphibious practitioners, so that was uh, really useful. It was also interesting that whilst we certainly learned a lot of lessons off them, they were the first to admit that they could learn some lessons off us and the way we do things, so it was very much a two-way street, which from my perspective is very, very pleasing after a end of a five-year amphibious trial. But so we, we enjoyed the opportunity to work with them, and it makes it easier if there is a conflict in the future and we need to serve together that we already have those relationships and understandings of each other's strengths and weaknesses, so that was really effective part. In terms of the evolution of the blue-green relationships within the ADF, look, we have a number of professionals, as I said before, who've been toiling hard in this amphibious capability space for a long time now, and they've achieved some really positive outcomes. So I would think that the relationships are pretty good. We're pretty good at the start of the exercise, but they're even stronger now when we understand that we are all working towards a common goal, and if we work together, we consult often and regularly and we understand the implications of our actions in planning and execution for other services, it will be a far more powerful outcome at the end of that. So I think one of the real positives coming out of Talisman Sabre is those relationships are even stronger than they were before.
And how then is Australia perceived by its international partners? I would think from an amphibious perspective, we are perceived very favourably. The ADF capability, amphibious capability that was certified and demonstrated on Talisman Sabre is a world-class capability that is recognised by our closest partners and allies. They understand the significant investment that Australia has made in this capability and they also understand and I think acknowledge the significant growth in the capability that we've achieved over the last five years. I was in Hawaii last year when HMAS Canberra arrived uh, to participate and it was truly uh, filled with pride, national pride, to see the Canberra and the capability that existed within Canberra pull into Pearl Harbour and stand on its own two feet when compared with the range of other international actors that were there in the region. And I can speak from direct experience of how excited our US partners were to see this capability in uh, participating in RIMPAC meaningfully, and then again to see the outcomes of Talisman Sabre where we showed this capability of the region. So really positive effects over the last couple of years of the amphibious capability. So in terms of being ready to engage on operations, there's no question in your mind that the amphibious capability is ready? 100%. This capability has been certified, has been demonstrated in an unknown security environment. The performance of this battalion to conduct a high-end amphibious lodgement to then switch and conduct joint land combat as part of the three brigade, one of three brigades' key manoeuvre units was very impressive and it's something that I take great pride in. The unit demonstrated that it is highly agile and adaptable, which are the cornerstones of an amphibious capability, and that has been underscored by the personnel in this unit in everything they've done this year, they have shown that by being excellent amphibious practitioners, they are in fact excellent at joint land combat. And we have some amazing personnel and leaders who have been very easily switched targets from conducting challenging multi-domain amphibious operations to conducting combined arms activities in a formation setting and achieving high standards in both. In terms though of that ongoing continuous development and improvement, what are the lessons learned? Well, there's a number of takeaways uh, for us about amphibious operations. And firstly, is that we are not perfect. We need to continue getting better. I mean, we'll continue getting better, uh, continue refining our skills, tightening up our procedures so that we are better equipped to deal with whatever comes our way. In terms of the capability more broadly, whilst we have achieved a significant milestone, there's still lots of work to be done. And there is a range of components of the amphibious capability which are not as good as they need to be and with further investment in resources, time, expertise, it will build the capability to become even better than it is at the moment. So for soldiers and officers listening to this podcast, what do they need to do to be able to meet that challenge that you just outlined in terms of that continuous ongoing improvement? I think the first thing people need to take away is that Amphibious operations makes you better at your traditional joint land combat roles. There seems to be in some quarters a perception that amphibious operations is a distraction from our key role as an army in terms of joint land combat, and that is could not be further from the truth. 2RAR has demonstrated that if you are good at amphibious operations, you become even better at joint land combat. So that's the first thing I'd say to people. Embrace the opportunities to become better military professionals through getting good at amphibious operations. The second thing I'd say is that you need to, when conducting amphibious operations, you need to open your mind up. You need to understand that the 
outcomes that you will deliver are far, far more effective when you include others in the planning and the conduct of the activity so you can leverage off their strengths and weaknesses. Amphibious operations are truly joint, truly multi-domain, and that has forced us to work closely with Navy and Air Force and other organisations. And we have learned that when you work effectively with those other organisations, you deliver better outcomes. The third thing I would say is that effective junior leadership is incredibly important in amphibious operations. Whilst we put great weight upon that in Army, in amphibious operations, when you've got people who need to make split-second decisions without complete information, they need to understand commander's intent and do what it needs to get done to achieve the mission, junior leadership, effective junior leadership and quality decision-making is incredibly important. So one of the additional benefits through conducting amphibious operations, your junior leaders get better and they make better decisions. So I think, again, I'd encourage people to embrace the opportunities that amphibious operations provides. So perhaps if we were to leave our listeners with a message in terms of five things they could go away and do to improve themselves professionally, set themselves up for contributing to this capability, what might those five things be? The first thing I do is to open your minds to rapid planning and planning including others and planning without complete information. In amphibious operations, you need to be prepared to conduct an activity with an 80% solution mindset. You cannot wait for 100% solution. You need to just trust your instincts, trust the professionalism of those who are below you and make a decision and crack on. If you make a decision at the right time and execute that with the right attitude, it becomes the 100% solution. So that's the first thing I'd say because Army sometimes is not the most agile organisation. sticks to templates with regards to planning and executing. Uh, we need to move past that and embrace 80% solution, rapid planning and rapid decision making. The second thing I'd talk about is fitness. So amphibious operations can be quite demanding for two reasons. Firstly, you're on board a ship for a long time and you may need to conduct an activity without the opportunity to get fit. So you need to have mechanisms to maintain the fitness of your force on board and to be fit before you go on board and you need to factor that in as your daily program. It's very easy for people when they're on board a ship to confine themselves to the mess decks and stay in their bed reading books and drinking brews and it means that you will not be ready to go to conduct 24, 48, 72 hours of continuous operations when you need to go. You add to that the demands of handling small craft at night places significant demand. So you need to be fit and you need to maintain your fitness. The third thing I talk about is professionalism. So when you're conducting amphibious operations, often the margin for error are quite small. I've talked before about how the sea can be particularly unforgiving. When you're operating at night, you're conducting a small boat insertion or you're operating with landing craft and the vagaries of the elements come into play. Small errors can unhinge plans. So take care of the little one percenters, make sure that you are professional in everything you do so that when you conduct the amphibious operations, you only have to worry about what the enemy's doing. You don't have to worry about other stuff, which you could have dealt with by being more professional. The next thing I think is really important, and, and this is in no priority order because communications is in this day and age is uh, incredibly important. You might be the most capable soldier or officer that is out there, but if you are not able to talk to your high headquarters and pass on that information to inform commanders so they can make the right decisions, then you are next to useless. So all members of an amphibious operation need to have a deep 
understanding of the communications architecture and the different ways of passing that information. That is only going to become increasingly important and certainly in 2RIR we have embraced that and we are seeking to change the culture of this unit, noting that we are focused on amphibious operations so that comms and the comms architecture is the first thing we think about and then we construct a manoeuvre plan to support that comms architecture. It is incredibly important and without it, your amphibious operation is doomed to failure. And finally, I'd like to talk about the orchestration of effects. So during Talisman Saver, we had a range of offensive support that we could bring to bear on the enemy, including attack aviation, fast air, NGS and artillery, and including direct fire support weapons. So orchestrating all those effects, making sure that you have the plans in place to synchronise all those effects at the time and place that you need it, with minimal delays can make the difference between success and failure. And that is not only from a target prosecution and destruction perspective, there's also the importance of sensors. And you need to be able to access those sensors that are flying above you, directly talk to the pilot or pilot so you can have instantaneous situational awareness of what's going on and pass that information back to deal with the threat as soon as it presents itself again, can mean the difference between success and failure in amphibious operations. So I think if people can get after those five things, they'll find themselves very well set up to be a worthy contributor in amphibious operations. Lieutenant Colonel Doug Pashley, Commanding Officer of the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, thank you very much. To find out more about amphibious capability, listen to the first and second podcasts in this series of three and check out other resources on The Cove. The web address is www.cove.org.au. That's www.cove.org.au. This ends our three-part series on amphibious operations recorded on location at 2RAR headquarters in Townsville. I'm Captain Sharon Muscledare. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright the Commonwealth of Australia.